The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. With me today is a very special guest. You may know him as the Baldy. He's an ECW original. He's the king of the streets. He's the kingpin, former IWA Puerto Rico hardcore champion multiple times. He is, of course, Angel, a.k.a. Angel Medina. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing today? Well, bro, thanks for uh, giving me that great intro. The angel that you're talking about is living a better life than I am, so I better, like... uh you know, hold up myself to that high standard. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, little opener. Yeah, you got to step it up, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Suntan Superman in all day, every day. <laughs> so what's been going on with you? I know you got a lot of podcasts going on. What's going on in your world? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, working on the – well, I'm on the Russo's brand. I mean, um, we've been working with Vince Russo in regards to uh, the MWA podcast network, uh, Killing the Business, uh, Wrestling with Tragedy, you know, uh, you know, the Funkin' Kingpin show. You know, so uh, with Alan Funk, Hui Hui from uh, WCW. So, uh, I mean, it's just something that's, uh, I wanted to take it to the next level. You know, I can't wrestle forever. My body hurts. So what I wanted to do is just focus using my celebrity status to start using, doing podcasting. Nice. Sounds good. And pick up now chicks. Were, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> that's always like the end game, right? Absolutely. So what do you, like you and Russo, like you, do you go back all the way to like Johnny Rods to school? Like it seems like you and him go back quite a ways. You know what's funny though? I met Russo when I was 17 years old and he used to be, I'm not used to be, but he's friends with Big Vito, Vito LaGrasso. And Vito's from Gleason's and, you know, I trained Vito and Vito showed up to Gleason's with Russo and introduced me to him, but it was just a brief, hey, how you doing? How's everything? Oh, good. Hey, nice meeting you. And he went talk to Johnny. So we did meet each other, but we weren't like, you know, friends or anything it was just we met at that brief minute so it's kind of funny how years later that circle of life we meet up again but now i'm 50 gonna be 50 <laughs> not that yep. 17 year old kid you know that new york crew it seems like they always stick together right i mean Vito's in the, on the russo brand obviously uh, yourself it just seems like that new york crew kind of sticks together yeah man absolutely man i mean gleason gleason is a strong uh, family, you know, we all stick together, you know, we always find each other. Um, and uh, it's just like we never miss a beat. And when we get together, it's just laughs and just riots and stuff like that. You know, I never hold myself as the 
you know, I don't have an ego. I never had. I don't believe in my own hype. I just kind of like, I'm angel, always been angel. Um, and um, I just live a normal life, you know. I don't use my celebrity status to like, oh, you, who are you talking to, you know. Kingpin, you know. So with Gleason's and with Johnny Rods, how do you get in there? Is that just something like, oh, I heard about Johnny Rods training? Like, how did you actually originally get in? Oh, man, that's real easy. Um, when I was a kid, I was going to uh, – you know, junior high school, I wasn't into wrestling at the time. I had a friend of mine named Peter. He had a wrestling uh, wrestling illustrated magazine, and he was like a huge wrestling fan. So he had it like, you know, the, the magazine rolled up in his hand, had it in his back pocket. So, of course, I'm like, yo, dude, what the hell is that in your back pocket, you know? Um, and he goes, oh, it's my wrestling magazine. And I, what is it? And he opened it up, and it showed on the cover, like, the Four Horsemen. And he's like, I said, who's that? And he's like, oh, man, you don't know who the four horsemen are? Oh, dude, you, here, he lent it to me. I started reading it. He goes, you know what? The next week is Clash of Champions, Ric Flair versus Sting. You got to check it out. You know, and I'm like, all right. It was on TBS anyway. It was free. So I watched it. And I was like, and right there, hooked. So then um, I wanted to be a wrestler. You know, I wanted to play wrestler technically. So um, I looked for schools. And I mean, I t- the you know, uh, I went to the uh, the dungeon. I reached out to them. Uh, Adrian Street in Florida. Um, you know, I was getting pamphlets from, uh, you know, before the internet. It was just pamphlets in the mail. And um, it was like, man, this is too far. I'm not going to go to Canada and, and go to the Bret Hart School up there. I just can't afford it. Um, I'm not going to go to Florida. So I kind of like, ah, well, my dream is over. So one day on, uh, it was called a Good Day Good Day New York. On, it was on uh, Fox, I think it was. And they had a segment where one of the reporters was doing an interview with Johnny Rods. And I caught the tail end of it. And, you know, um, he was just watching guys, you know, wrestling, doing the moves. Of course, they take the reporter. This is how you do a slam. And and then at the end, it was Johnny just hip tossing people, you know, like the end, the end thing when they do it in the news. So then right there, I was like, holy crap, it's in Brooklyn. I'm just going to go over there and went over there, spoke to Johnny. And, um, you know, he put me on some type of payment plan. You know, because, you know, I was a kid from the streets, broke, not really have, making any money. So he put me on some type of payment plan. I just gave him, like, maybe, like, $150, $200. And then he goes, just keep paying me until you pay it off and stuff. And then um, me and Vito, this is before we Russo ever, you know, the situation. But um, me and Vito got at it, you know, because I didn't take wrestling serious. And the guys are like Damien, uh, Damien Demento, uh, Big Sweet Williams, known as Hugh Morris, Bill DeMott was there, um, I can't remember the rest, but in Vito, and they just they just beat the brakes out of me. They just beat me up and uh, because I didn't respect the business. So I quit for a couple of weeks, you know, maybe a month or so, and then I came back, and then I really took it serious and focused on my craft. So this was after the Dudley Boys was there and Taz and Dreamer, I'm guessing it's probably a few years after that, or? No, Taz and Dreamer left. I never met them, uh, but... Um, Devon, Devon was when I came back. Devon came back, at, you know, at that time, and um, Devon at the time he had a regular job, you know, like everybody else, you know, and me and him used to take the train together, the F train in in Brooklyn, and he used to get off to go to New Rochelle because that's where he was originally from. So um, we used to just, you know, we were good friends, you know, and uh, and then one day um, Paul was looking for a member of the Dudley boys, you know, um, a, a black Dudley. That's what you know, Johnny told me. Oh, they're looking for a black Dudley. And they went to a guy named Adrian street first. And he was a big muscular black dude. And he was like, nah, I ain't doing it. Cause he was afraid of ECW. So then of course he was spoke to Devon and Devon's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And he went and the rest is history. So 
after that, you know, Devon left the school, but, you know, I kind of kept in contact with him at the, after that. So as you're going through the school, you and Vito starting to get along a bit better? We didn't, you know, it's funny though. Me and Vito didn't get along until we were wrestling for a guy named Tommy Jeanette. He used to do carnival shows in upstate New York. So we used to do loops up there and all these carnival shows. So, uh, like I said, I didn't, I'm not gonna lie, you know, I just didn't like Vito. I, we didn't get along. We just butted heads. You know, I just, he thought, I just, I'm not gonna lie. I just thought he was like, this guy's a jerk. He just has an ego. He don't care fuck about nobody. So then um, I was driving. I used to drive with this guy named uh, Kid USA. And the funny thing is um, my phone rings, ring, you know, ring. And we're driving up to the next show, you know, the first show for Tommy Janet. And he goes, hey, brother, it's me, Vito. And it was like one of those things, like, I broke the fourth wall. Like, the hell? Yeah. Why, is he, why is he calling me? We're not friends. But it's just I was more in shock that he's calling me. And I didn't even, ha- I didn't even speak. You know, he was like, hey, man, you know, I'm up here at the hotel. When you guys going to show up? It was in Salamanca, New York. I remember it like it was yesterday. He goes, hey, I'm in the I'm in room. Um, no, nah, I don't remember the room. But let's say it was 215. I'm in room 215. When you, get, when you come into the hotel and check in, come see me. Okay. Click. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I turned to Kid USA like with a snap in the neck, like a Slim Jim commercial. I was like, dude, that was freaking Vito. And he goes, Vito? Are you serious? He said, yeah. He goes, he wants me to come. uh See him in a, us to come to his room when we get to town. I think they're gonna have like a a, a pillow party for me, you know, a blanket party. As soon as I walk to the door, they'll beat me with <laughs> bars of soap and socks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but as soon as I walked in the door, um, Vito's, hey brother, how's everything? And I'm just still kind of like, what the? Are, are you serious? You know. And then, um, but after that first time uh, at Salamanca, then we just started traveling the loop. And then, you know, it was just us three, you know, Vito and stuff. And then, then I just got to know him better. And I realized he wasn't being malicious. He wasn't being uh, dis- disrespectful to me. He wanted me to respect the business and take it seriously. And he was, it was tough love, you know, and he wanted me to be the best, the best I can be. So that's when, you know, we like clicked. Yeah, Vito was Vito joking around being a Vito, but but then I understood who, what he, who he was and how he thought, and I'm like, oh, it's just Vito, you know. That's how he is. So, how was Johnny Roz? Is he tough? Is he one of those trainers that almost, you know, he beats you up, at, not physically, but like he kicks your ass a bit. He's tough on you. Is he one of those old school, just wants to make sure you're exhausted when he when he's training type guy? Johnny never beat us, you know. Just to say, uh, Johnny never beat us up. Yeah, he was old school, grind you to the ground. But it was, it was, there was a lesson behind each thing he did. He never, never did anything maliciously to hurt you. Like for example, if you were wrestling and he threw, he slammed you on the floor, and he, the way you got up and you had your fingers, you know, like, you know, like this on the mat, he'll he'll step on it, but not to break. He'll just say, "See this right here? I could break your fingers because you you don't have your hands flat, so you got to be careful." Or when he took you to the ropes and you extended your knee straight and he'll just like literally just put enough pressure on your kneecap and just tweak it a little bit to go, see this right here? If you the guy's pushing you to the ropes, you want to make sure both knees are bent because if you extend your knee, hyperextend your leg that way and the guy is stupid and he falls, he's going to hyperextend your knee, break your knee, tear your meniscus. So you always want to keep your knees bent. So right here, and you, you'll feel that, that, that thing on your knee, like right there, that could break. So you got to be careful. So he gives you that little, hmm but nothing to hurt you, just to give you give you awareness. And Johnny was a very, very attentive trainer. Um, I mean, he still trains to this day, but it's like, I hate saying this, but 
the more benefits you got from Johnny was back then because he was in the ring 150%. I mean, the guy was like a beast and he stayed there for like two, three hours wrestling guys 20 minutes a piece without even breaking a sweat. So, um, yeah, he, people are still getting the knowledge, but it, but of course he's older and he can't do the same things he used to do. So I guess you just miss out a little bit of the uh, Johnny Rod's uh, skill, if you say. But he'll never hurt you. He'll school you. So did you get familiar since you weren't like a big fan? Did you get familiar with him and his role and you know, being a, a big time star? Obviously, more of like an enhancement guy, but a very key cog in the wheel. He was always the guy that they would make wrestle, like a new guy that would come in and you know he'd wrestle at MSG. He was kind of a big part of, of what they were doing up there for a long time. Did you become familiar with him and his career? Yeah, I used to joke with Johnny. I said, hey, Johnny, when you used to get uh, Vince McMahon coffee, did he like it with screaming sugar or did he like it black? <laughs> Fuck you, get in the ring and he'll stretch me. <laughs> you know, but uh, but Johnny, I mean, yeah. I, knew, I mean, I didn't know Johnny Rods, of course, at the time. But as I, you know, started learning the craft and getting better and understanding and doing my homework and doing my due diligence of learning the business, yeah, I was like, my God, Johnny was a soldier. Johnny was a general, a ring general. Basically, if you could get past Johnny Rods, you you were you were in and he was he was the uh the test you know like to see your attitude see if you were respectful see if you did what you were told and if you didn't get past johnny Rao's approval you didn't get in and um i mean he i mean everybody was i can't say everybody was scared of him but everybody respected him you know i mean from ted dibiase to i mean even andre the giant you know i mean johnny was a shooter he was an old school hooker you know and you didn't want to mess with him i mean the guy with snappy leg without a with a with a blink of an eye, you know. With him too, I, like in that period with those guys, it's like there was no quote unquote enhancement guys. They were all carpenters. They all knew their role. So I, I'm sure he would get like really mad if somebody said like, "Oh yeah, you know, you jobbed a lot back then," or or something. I'm sure he would get very very furious at that because all those guys, even Bruno, would say like, "That's not true. Those guys are not. We're all equal basically at, at that point in WWF days." Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, nobody would have dared, dared like, "Hey, you're a." I mean, besides the fans, you know. But uh, yeah, get in the ring. Let me see. You know, right? Just right. step in the ring. See what you can do, and um, you know, stretch you. Johnny was a yeah. He also used to stretch us, and um, but then, but that's the key thing. I mean, there's a key. There's a core group of Gleasons that are just because of Johnny's tutelage and uh, in ring training that we became like the elite of Gleason's gym. And again, I'm not knocking the, the, the guys now. It's just, it's just different. You know, it's just without Johnny being in the ring, it's just a little bit different. And um, it's just, I'm thankful that he was in the ring with me. And um, like I said, you got the Tazzes, you got the Dreamers, the the Big Sweet Williams, Damian Demento. These were monsters, Devon, Vito. Vito was like a machine, you know, the guy was just a, a cardio machine. Even when I was a cardio, I, I was into my cardio and I still couldn't keep up with him. That's how good his cardio was. That's just like, a, no matter how many times I ran, rode a bike, jump rope, he was always a step ahead of me in his cardio. The guy was a beast. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. With you in that school, where do you go after that? Like you quote unquote graduate and you kind of move on. You're able to go, did you go right to the indie scene? Like where do you go after you finish up with Johnny Rods? Well, technically the world is yours. I mean, there was no such thing as graduating because you were always a part of the school. Johnny's okay. always says, once you pay your due, once you pay your your, your, your fee, you're, you're Gleason's for life. The only thing you have to pay is Bruce at the door because it was Gleason's gym and you had to pay the dues at the door. Back in the days, it was like 
think it was twenty five thirty dollars to for a membership. Now it's like a hundred dollars to be right. to walk into Gleason's gym, and uh, you know which I will not do now because that's too much money. But um, but yeah, I mean once you you finish, you still go back to Gleason's and train. But Johnny kind of held you back a little bit just because he didn't want you to fall into that 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 role of. Um, Oh, I'm a wrestler running around the Indies and just being garbage. He he let you select your where you wanted to go. Me, it was because of Devon that I got into ECW. Yeah, I did my shows. I did my local shows at the time. It's the Spanish Angel at the time. Um, I, that's what I did. And you know, yeah, I wrestled the Indies, but but I always went back to Gleason's to continue my training. And then uh, eventually, you know, uh, one of the guys was going to um, the ECW arena. His name was Jabba Shabibi. And the only reason I – it just happened by accident. This is just an accident. It's not like something came on – came. they called me or something and said, hey, we want you to come down. It was just because he needed a ride. That is the God honest truth. He, we're in the ring wow. hanging out, and I said, hey, what are you doing? Let's say it was Monday. Let's say it was today. And I said, well, hey, what are you doing this week? And he goes, oh, nothing really. Um, oh, yeah, you know what? Saturday, I got to go down to Philly. Philly for what? Well, Devon has been having me come down to train as a referee. So every weekend I've been going to Philadelphia. Well, good, man. Good for you. I'm happy for you. Absolutely. Awesome. Then it was like like, like Thursday, like I saw him Thursday. And I said, man, dude, it's almost Saturday, man. Are you, are you ready to go down to Philly? Bro, man, shit, man. I don't know. I don't think I'll be able to go because I'm having car issues. So I don't think I'll be able to make it this week. Dude, why? Because it's just my car is not, it's not functional. I can't do it. I said, hey, you know what? I'd be happy to drive you. Just ask Devon, and if it's okay with him, you know, I'll come down, I'll drive you down there. So he called Devon, and Devon told him, he goes, yeah, you know, that's fine. Just tell Angel to bring his bag. Because uh, Rustler, you always bring your bag to the show. No matter if you're not on the show, you bring your bag. So I went in, I got my bag. Devon told me to get dressed, get in the ring with Nova, you know, Guido, uh, Tracy's mother's Chetty, everybody was in the ring, and he goes, "Yeah, you know, just work out with him. Go and work out with him." And then I, like I said, I remember like yesterday, Tracy's mother goes, "Hey, you kid, why don't you have a match with Guido? Give, give me like six minutes." And boom, 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 we're just back and forth, hip toss, backdrop, arm drag, you know, elbow, you know, just doing all the simple things, but just solid. And boom, hey, that's good. You know, he pat me on the back. Good, good work, good work, kid. Boom, that I was done. As soon as I. uh got out of the ring, I went through the curtain, and for some real reason, Paul was watching me, not because he was watching me physically, I mean, visually, it's just that he looked out and he saw it and he was like, hmm. So when I came through the curtain, he was talking to Sabu and Rob Van Dam, and, and as he's talking to him about whatever, a match or something that they were coming up with, he looked up and he goes, hey, kid, come here real quick. And um, he stopped what he was doing. He goes, um, uh, do me a favor, stick around. And I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, yes, yeah, yeah, do me a favor. Just just stick around. And then he went back to what he was doing. So then I went to Devon like a kid in a candy shop. Devon, Devon, uh, I don't understand what he means. Um, he just told me to stick around. He's That's all he said. He goes, well, Paul fucking tells you to stick around. Stick around. Yeah, but Devon, I don't want to. Angel, shut the fuck up. If he tells <laughs> you to stick around, just fucking stick around. And then after that, I just kept coming to shows on my own dime. And just you know, just making an appearance, and then they used me off and on to little little spots here and there, and that's how I got my foot in the door. So obviously, he liked what he saw. He liked you. He, he thought like this guy might be uh, good to keep bringing in. Obviously, for ECW. 
man, if you see me without a shirt, of course you'll like what he saw. He was like, mm, <laughs> mm, mm, mucho macho. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know what was going through his mind. He he had a vision. He he saw something. Again, I'm not saying like, oh, I don't have the had the it factor. It's just you know, sometimes when you some people see something from the outside, they see something, and he saw something, and. Um, you know, I'm happy that he, he told me to stick around. You know, I almost quit because I lost my job at the time, you know, like months, months, months later, because I was just my ex-wife used to get on me about uh, basically, hey, you know, all you do is go to these shows or these shows. You're not bringing any money. You're putting out then putting out more than what you're bringing in because I wasn't bringing it home nothing. I was spending like a hundred, two hundred dollars just to go on the road to wrestle. And of course, you know, that's no bueno in the in the marriage life. And she was not having it. So um, so then I lost my job. I got fired. And she goes, well, hey, bro, you can't, do, you can't be going. I'm not on my dime. I mean, she wasn't being mean, but it makes sense. You know, you're not going to be going on traveling on my dime. So I called Devon. Hey, D, um, I got to quit. Why, why, why? I lost my job, man. I won't be able to get on the road. Dude, relax. Let me, uh, give, me, give me a few. I'll call you back. And then he called me back like, like uh, maybe like three hours later. He goes, hey, I got you a job on Ring Crew. What the fuck? You want me to wipe wipe your floors and uh, you know and wax your back? <laughs> so, right. But I mean, it was a job. It was an opportunity. Um, yeah, I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was like ring crew. Oh man, I don't want to be on ring. I'm a wrestler. But you know, um, I got on the ring crew. Tommy Dreamer told me this is when you start paying your dues right here, kid. Fuck that shit that you did on the road and all these carnival shows. This is where it all starts right now. And then and I, I was on the ring crew with Tony DeVito, and um, we just up and down the road, you know, putting up the ring, taking down the ring, and doing matches. Do you think that's definitely like a way in the door? Like, okay, I'm going to be in the ring crew, but eventually I'm going to get signed. I'm going to be a part of ECW, or that wasn't like an immediate thought? No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. My mindset was like, this better fucking pay out, man. I'm fucking really putting my 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 head in the fucking uh, guillotine because, again, it was affecting my marriage at the time. But, I mean, in my heart, I'm like, mm, I had that faith. I really did. You know, I mean, if it would have failed, they'd be like, oh, fuck. But, you know, I really had that faith because everybody that was on Ring Crew got a spot. I mean, from Danny Dore and Roadkill, um, Bill, uh, Bill Wiles, um, anybody that got on Ring Crew. Oh, Mikey Whipwreck. You know, I mean, like stuff like that. Everybody got into that spot. So I was just crossing my fingers, you know, like, yeah, you know, just stay positive, stay positive. And um, besides people bitching and moaning like DeVito and Bill Wiles, because, you know, you once in your truck with three guys driving together shoulder to shoulder for eight, 18 hours, you do get on each other's nerves and then sharing the room and stuff like that. So uh, it was a blessing. I'm happy I did it. Would I do it again? Fuck no. I'd rather eat eat glass and wipe my ass with razor blades before I fucking um do that shit again. But I'm I'm blessed that I did it. What do you think about Tony DeVito at that point? Fuck him. He's scum. No, just kidding. Tony DeVito, no, hell of a work. I mean, the guy's from WWF, man. He was he was the go-to. He was like, he was not to Johnny Rods, but he was the guy he they used all the time. You know? I mean, I mean, I, DeVito's older than me by like a month. And I used to, I used to watch him when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> when you wrestle Scott Steiner and stuff. But yeah. he was always used, him and, uh, and Mike Bell. Mike Bell, I um, continuously continued that those two dudes were always on TV, always working. Um, I never had that opportunity. But yeah, DeVito, hell of a worker. Awesome. Do, do not show him. Do, do not send him this video. I don't want to put him over like that. Right, um, right. But 
<laughs> but he's a good friend of mine. We joke around a lot, but um, he was he was a great partner. And, um, you know, I'm happy that he was part of the Baldies, um, you know, with me. So when you're doing the ring crew, how long is it before you kind of get on to the main roster, really, so to speak, with ACW? And what when you're doing the main roster, are you still doing ring crew? I'm trying to visualize it. I know we were doing November to Remember because that's my first day on ring crew. I don't remember which one. I think it was – I'm trying to close my eyes and remember. I want to say – yeah, the Dudleys were still there. So it was like 97. So, you know, I remember that was my first day, November to Remember. And then I stayed on, you know, looking at the timeline, probably a year. Probably a year, close to a year. And um, I was when the Baldies was first formed. Yes, I was still on Ring Crew, you know. But then when Tommy's like, "Hey guys, guess what? We'll be flying you." Fuck yes, nice. you know. And I went to Bill Wiles. Fuck you, <laughs> I quit. <laughs> this this week is my last week because he was the uh, Ring chief, uh, Ring Crew chief. So you know, you always wanted to tell your boss go fuck himself. So I was like, yeah. "Fuck you, Bill. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> I quit." <laughs> <laughs> so, so then um, we, you know, that's when we, everything started kicking off. It was the pay per view with New Jack. That's when uh, I started flying. So the Baldies, the Baldies, really. Who comes up with that? Whose idea is it? What is it like? What's the gimmick? And is that like Paulie's name that he decides to give to you guys? And who puts you together? Is this all Paulie's idea? It was Paul and Tommy's idea. Because we were in Michigan, if I remember correctly, I got the video um, on my YouTube. I saved it, but it was a, a match with uh, Spike Dudley. And um, but before we did that, like before we were out, he was, "Hey guys, we need to talk." And he sat us down, and Paul just put his foot on the stool, and he goes, "Hey, I have this idea. You ever heard of the Fordham Baldies in the Bronx?" And I, I looked at him like, uh, "Nope." <laughs> you know, you never saw the you never saw the Wanderers, the movie, the Wanderers, and I'm like, "Nope." He goes, he wanted me to watch it. And then um, he's like, yeah, well, it was a tough street gang. You know, we had, they're all bald. They were just the most rugged street gang. We want you to do that. We want you to, you, DeVito, Big Vito, Rod Price, P, you know, at the time, Rod Price. I want to say PN News was, we made that appearance in there too. But well, regardless, PN News. And then um, we just, we had the match. We attacked, uh, um, we attacked uh, Spike. And then New Jack comes out and he, you know, of course, New Jack cleans house and drops the elbow on me from the top of the the rafters. And then it one, two, three. And then, of course, that's when it took off. But it was really Paul and Tommy Dreamer's idea. Did you like Debaldi's, the name and, and the group? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I was happy. I mean, you know, I mean, it was it was the next level, you know, for us that we were because, OK, I hate saying this, but. Paul, not hate saying this. Paul liked my style of wrestling because I was kind of like, because me and Devon from the same school, so we had the same same style. So when I got hit, you know, I used to do the same type of kind of gyration, maybe a little tweak to and there, but it wasn't like I copied him. It was just part of our training that it just I did what I did. So Paul liked the fact that since the ball, since the Dudleys were leaving, he thought that the Baldies were going to be the next Dudleys. And which one is impossible, but I understand his concept. You know, they're leaving and we need to replace another badass tag team. Next and, man up. Yep. Yeah, next man up. And this is going to be our next man up. So then um, we started doing that. So, um, yeah, I really like the Baldies gimmick. Um, 
of course it was you know in the beginning you know you have to you have to tweak certain things but um yeah i mean i have no complaints i really enjoyed it i was like wow you know especially doing the angles with new jack it was just a blessing what do you think about New Jack? Just overall his character, because you know he's got the music playing. He doesn't really bump a lot, but he he's you know he could be a little stiff or a little snug. Did you enjoy working with New Jack? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny though. New Jack gets a bum rap. I understand all the stories from the dark side of the ring and all this stuff, and you know, I I, I understand. But me and me and Jack had a good relationship. He had a good relationship with Devito. He had a good relationship with me. He didn't have a good relationship with Shit Grimes, Rick Grimes, but yeah. uh. But, um, I mean, I had a great relationship with Jack. We laughed. We joked around. And, I mean, he wasn't stiff because every time he hit me, okay, I hit him back. You know, I gave him what he gave me. Um, and even when I got – he never hurt me. I mean, not on purpose. There was some little things that happened here and there. But, of course, it was not malicious and it was done intentional. It was just accidental. And I just brushed it off as part of the business. And um, he understood that. And, um, like I said, I just – yeah, I mean, I seen him get wild and crazy on people. Like, you know, me sitting there and go, what the fuck is going on over there? But when he sat with me, we just laughed and joked around. And he goes, sure. You know, he asked me, you know, what I want to do. And I'm like, nah, Jack, you, you know, you're the vet. What do you want to do? And But, again, as the year, as the time went on, I guess when I was here, you know, the baldies little by little. And he just gave me a little more, a little more. And said, no, nah, whatever you want to do, just tell me. Oh, I have this idea. What do you think? Oh, it's a great idea. You sure? You know, because I still was showing him respect. But like I said, I love being around Jack. I mean, you know, yeah, don't get me wrong. In the beginning, I was like, man, this guy's just going to kill me. And, you know, I'm just going to get bleeding all the time. But I have no regrets. It was just Jack was an awesome dude. When he's jumping off the rafters, it's funny. People always remember that. But you got to remember the person underneath, the victim. They're taking this crazy bump. What was it like feeling that, you know, him coming from 100 feet high? splashing you oh the first time he fell on me was at pay-per-view in buffalo and he climbed up on the uh took the ladder put it on the basketball it was a basketball board backboard and of course they put the ecw banner on it and he climbed up and i'm not lying to you i looked up just seeing because that's all i kept looking at i'm laying there and i just see him climb up the ladder you know i get that deep (laughs) breath coming out then he's getting up there oh shit you know because you know it's like like that Jaws thing, like it's just building up, building yeah, up. And then yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. up there and he's like pounding his chest and he's doing this. I'm like, motherfucker, you know? And when he dove, you know, I sucked it in and boom, explosion. And I'm like, and I shake, you know, didn't feel him, man. The guy took care of me. And I was like, wow, you know, I didn't feel him, you know? And um, I mean, the reason Jack was so fucked up is because he was protecting us. Because he took a lot of the blow of the impact to protect me or whoever he was with. But for me, he, I mean, we were wrestling at the Zuma beach club and he did the same thing. He laid me on a, um, you ever go into a bar and they have like that metal bin that you, you used to like feed cows and stuff and you yeah. put beer in it and they had the, so they had a wooden lid on it and he laid me on, he put the wooden lid and he laid me and he climbed all the way up in this bar up into the balconies. And I'm looking like he can't fucking make it. Cause the distance, the literally the dive was just too far. Like, he ain't gonna fucking make it. I'm just laying there and he just dove. And it literally took the whole um the whole thing to the hip. Just bam, but didn't feel a thing. And like he protected me, and I'm like, and he was limping that night. That's why he had a I'm not saying that's the cause of it, but I mean all those years of doing that, that's why you notice him he was always yep. limping because of the pounding on the hip. 
I remember working with him just, I brought him in for like an autograph sign. And we were just so funny, like in front of everybody for the picture, I go to take a picture, gets this huge knife out. I put it like to my throat, you know, like all in gimmick and stuff. And then away from everybody, you're private with him. He's totally like normal and cool. So it's like, man, he's so cool, but like crazy, like a Fox, like he's got to keep kayfabe. And then you can talk business when the fans aren't around. But I just thought it was so funny. I'm just like, la da da da, being like, a, you know, like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of New Jack. And he brings out this gigantic knife and he's like, puts up. So I throw it. I still have the picture. It's like a great picture. But I was like, man, he's so funny. But like that Terry Funk thing, crazy like a fox. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you brought New Jack in for autograph signing? A couple of years ago. Yeah, down in uh, Virginia. Yep. That's okay. You never brought me for an autograph signing. Oh, that's a different story. I got to start doing them again. No, that's okay. A couple of years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just messing with you. But yeah, man, I mean, like I said, Jack, Jack, it, there was two sides of Jack, my opinion. And it was a nice guy that always treated me right. Yeah, he lost his temper with Vic Grimes. But that, <laughs> that was a different story. And of course, I was just like, hey, that's on you. But, um, but, uh, but, he was always treating me good. Everybody else he had issues with. I mean, either they brought it on to themselves or they just didn't keep their mouth shut. I Me, mean, I was just a, just a soldier, and I just like just did what I was told and did my job because I wanted to make money and move up the move up the ladder in ECW. So many guys say about him, like, man, his reputation. Like, even Jim Ross was like, man, we in WWE when they were like looking at ECW guys, like, man, this guy's got such a reputation. They even fall for the work of New Jack. I mean, it's like Bruiser Brody. People are like, oh, he's a killer. You know, he's a, such a tough guy. But it's it's a lot of the personas, a lot of the gimmicks. So that's one thing. New Jack was able even able to keep kayfabe within guys in the business, which is a good thing I, to a certain point. Yeah, but Jack always beat to his own drum, and he didn't like bite his tongue on anybody. Also, too, and especially in this business. So I don't think, um, you know, he even said Vince would never be able to hold them. You know, like he spoke his mind, hmm. and sometimes. Speaking your mind is either a good thing or a bad thing. It might be beneficial or it might bite you in the ass. I'm not saying to bit him in the ass, but those are the that, that's the teeter totter. That's the, the the scales of justice, you know, the balance, you know. So I really, you know, don't know. So because it's funny they bring in Sabu and Sandman who have equally crazy um, reputations, but like New Jack, I don't know about New Jack. He's a little too crazy. Yeah, but Hack and, and uh, well, Sandman and Sabu. I never seen him like lose that top, you know, like boom, mm-hmm. like get really like, like those, you know, I mean, Jack has a, has a story behind him. All the, the, I mean, from the mass transit to, you know, to uh, the guy from Florida. I mean, there's just tons and tons Gypsy and tons Joe, of stuff. Gypsy yeah. Joe and all that stuff. But, um, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, never did that to me. But, but again, if they would have got to know him, you know, it's just that if they would have got to know him, they would have known that he was a good guy and and he would have worked with him. I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, yeah, if you did him wrong, he's going to speak his mind and say, hey, you owe me money or you, you, you're not taking care of me. But um, I think it would have been easy going if they would have just given him a chance. So you guys have this King of the Streets feud and obviously – New Jack and the Boldies had this history. What do you think about just that in general? Was that good for ECW to have that feud, or is that kind of like almost old school booking to a certain point where it's like, you know what I mean? It, it just seemed like it wasn't almost like an 80s style, like kind of like who's the king of the streets kind of feud? Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved it. I mean, when I was, uh, you know, got the Mar- Marnicky king of the streets during that time at the ECW arena. I was like, wow, cool. You know, Jack is literally not not passing the torch, but he's giving me the there was, you know, like an opportunity to carry that, to carry that. Giving you a and rub. Then, yeah. I mean, yeah, give me a rub, give me a rep, and as a, a badass character. 
and um, you know, King of the Streets. You know, I mean, I remember Joe Gardner's like, now Angels, King of the Streets. I mean, it really became like cool. I wish it was a title. I wish I was able to have some money and build like a like almost the FTW title, like just walk around with the King of the Streets title. You yeah, know, that would have been cool, black and white and stuff like that. But um, oh yeah, dude, I was I was I was stoked, man. It was a good angle. I mean, I loved it. It was old school. It, it had the drama, it had the action, it had the suspense, and also the cliffhanger at the end. You know, it was just like they didn't think I was gonna like do what I did, and people like gasp, and it was just awesome because they wasn't expecting it. So it was an old school swerve. What did you think about just your run in ECW? Like, did you get where you wanted to get? Did you expect to be higher on the card? Like, what did you think overall on your run in ECW? Well, little by little, yeah, the Baldies were moving up quick um, because uh, I mean, this is the story. I don't, you know, I don't know the the. This was was told to us, but again, you know, what is true, what is not true. But per per, um, you know, at the time, I think it was, it was Tommy that uh, Danny Jordan and Roku had the titles. If you watch one of the pay per views, I can't remember which one, but it was one of the massacre, the New York one, either the second to last or the or the last. But um, when the Baldies were fading, just incredible, and Steve Carino outside the ring, I forgot who was in the ring, but we were fighting each other to the back. So the story was that the PJ, Just Incredible, and Steve Carino were going to be the new Impact players. So supposedly, the Baldies were supposed to beat Danny Dorian and Roadkill for the titles. And then we were going to do an angle with Carino and Just Incredible. And of course, they were going to win the titles uh, from us. So that right there was telling us like we were moving so, you know, like getting our spot in the top of the card as, you know, main eventers you know yeah moving on up how can oh, yeah, it like happen that. is this because the ecw is kind of on its way out really because oh, because uh, i was black and he didn't want to use me no just kidding <laughs> but um i think um yeah i think it's because i was on his way out man you know what the this is the thing this is one thing angel never bitched i never griped i said johnny Raj trained us to be soldiers and respect the business and i'm not saying nobody i mean i'm just talking about me i'm not saying nobody else respects the business. I'm just talking about myself and Vito and anybody from Gleason's. When we had, when we were not getting paid, it was at the, again, Hammerstein Ballroom. You know, um, I remember RVD was like, I am not wrestling until I get paid what I just, the money that I was missing. So Paul paid him. And of course, a lot of people were griping because we're like, yo, what the fuck, you know? I understand he's Rob Van Dam, and I'm not knocking Rob. He has to get his money. I totally understand, but I'm just telling you what happened. People were uh, totally upset. So then I remember that Carino was like, I want my fucking money. If I don't get my money, I'm going to drop the title on the indies. You know, like he was like kind of like doing the ultimate warrior, like kind of like <laughs> strong arm, strong arming uh, Paul. And again, none of my business. Uh, that's Carino's thing, and it is what it is. And then that's what came back to me. So I went upstairs and there was a line of wrestlers to go in the room with Paul. So my thought process was like, look, everybody's going in there to bitch. Look, motherfucker, I want my money, this and that, fuck you, all this bullshit. So when I went in there, I could see Paul looking at me like, here's another tongue lashing again from one of my things. And I said, I, straight, straight shoot. I sat down, I turned the chair around, I sat down, I said, Paul, let me, I want to let you know that. I'm going to ride with you to the end. I don't want you to, I want, I don't want to be a headache. I want you to know I'm going to ride with you. I know people are leaving, going to other organizations. I want to go down with you. 
I want to show you that I'm a team player. I want to show you that I want to be one of your top guys. So I just want to let you know, you know, I'm going to, I'm here, you know, and he's like, Hey, thank you. And he hugged me and that was it because I figured, okay, if everybody's chipping their teeth, maybe the guy who's like, Hey man, I'm, I'm with you, brother. That he'll be like, oh, you motherfuckers are trying to fucking choke me and hang me out to dry or hang me like a, you know, with the torches like a Frankenstein and outside the castle. And then this guy right here didn't bitch and moan. And he said he was going to, you know, he trusted me. So I figured that would, you know, help me. Man. <laughs> you can see everybody's jumping ship like that Titanic, just like Jack was saying. Everybody's like, hey, your Paul's going to save us. He's coming with that boat. And then a sh- like giant sh- shark cams and grabs one, and no, oh, there goes one of the guys. And then the shark pulls on. You know, it was like the in- Indianapolis when back in the World War II when they were fucking were eaten up by sharks. You know, um, basically, I mean, people would jump in ship because they knew that it was troubled times. But um, I just had, we all had hope. And Johnny, I mean Johnny, uh, Paul was the type of guy that um, that like he could he, he he could move move mountains with his words. You know, I mean he. Um, Bubba always told me this that kind of always stuck with me to this day. He goes, "You ever watch Devil Devil's Advocate Angel?" And I said, "Yeah, I saw that movie." He goes, "Watch it again." And when uh, Al Pacino, that's Paul Heyman. And I go, "Okay." And I still got that movie in my collection over there, Devil's Advocate, because Great and movie. then I watch it. And then when you watch it, and seriously, when you when you get that put in your head like that's Paul Heyman, then you're like, "Let me let me watch this motherfucker again." And you sit there not watching the movie, just watching Al Pacino. And how he talks and all that shit. And then you go, motherfucker. That, that's fucking Paul Heyman right there to a T. Watch the movie now after I told you that. And just really yeah. just focus on him, not the movie. And you'll see, like, I, I see what they're talking about. You know? There was another thing. It was from the movie um, The Network. Uh, PJ, just incredible, told me to watch. I've seen it before, but he told me to watch some speech. And he's like, Paul used to literally take that speech. Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, damn, I forget what it uh, But it, you could see Paul making a speech. He said Paul would like say that speech or whatever. And he's like, no one really pick up on it. But he would take stuff from movies and say it in like inspirational speeches backstage to the guys to try to get everybody like on his side and be like yeah. all like Newt Rockney kind of like get, a, get everybody pumped. But he was saying like, man, he's like, he was t- taking stuff from movies, but you didn't really care. You almost like got engrossed in it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, Paul, I'm with you. I'm with you, Paul. Yeah. That motherfucker, you, man, put it this way. That motherfucker was like Leonidas in 300. Spartans. <laughs> <gasps> you know, how many warriors we have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's how he got, he, he got into our head. Now the network, is that the movie from the seventies? The yeah. guy who like, I'm not going to take uh yeah, that go out the window and not going to take it anymore. I never yeah. saw that movie. Yep. yep. Pretty good movie. You know, but yep. I remember that clip, like go outside your window and scream and say, you're not going to take it anymore. Or some shit like that. It was like seventies, eighties, I think. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to look at it. Now I got to look yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, I guess, known for those rah-rah speeches. What did you think of Paul? Because I accessed all the ECW guys. Genius? Not a genius. Fucking genius, man. What, 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 okay. Whatever personal feelings I have towards him, which I'm not mad at him, if he would have been honest with us, I'm being honest with you. If he would have said, look, Angel, because he gave me my opportunity. He was the one that gave me the opportunity that nobody would have given me. Vince, uh, Bischoff, none of them. 
I was in a situation where he gave me my opportunity. If the motherfucker came up to me and said, look, Angel, fuck, we're broke. It's done. It's over. If you want to continue doing the shows, I appreciate it. I'll remember it. And But it, it's it's going to end. I know me. I would have been like, okay, if you're being 100% honest with me and shooting from the hip, then I'm sticking with you to the end. You know, and just just remember me. You know, just remember me, motherfucker. Wherever you go, just remember me. And that was it. I mean, I would have took it like that. But yeah, fucking genius, man. The guy has a fucking mind for the business. Can't take that away from him. I mean, he, to this day, he sees me and he gives me a big hug. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm not being mean. But when you, when you, when the thing is, when you learn things from your other, per, I'll give you a good example. Mm-hmm. Tony DeVito, after ECW, DeVito was working a regular job like everybody else, trying to make ends meet. DeVito bumps into him at a grocery store. Literally bumps into him. Paul's like, bro, hugs and I'm, how you doing? How's everything? Oh, you looking great, man. You still lifting and all that bullshit. Yeah. DeVito's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm good. DeVito, do me a favor. Here, call me. You know, anytime, call me. Okay, okay, I'll definitely call you. So DeVito puts the paper in his, like, he's like, literally, Paul's walking away to the register. DeVito has the paper. He's about to put it, and he goes, <laughs> opens it up, takes out his cell phone. The number you have reached has been temporarily disconnected. Five, you know, the, the, and he's <laughs> like, and it goes into, like, that busy single, and he just looks oh. up and looks at Paul at the register, and Paul's like, <laughs> and he's just like, motherfucker. So, I mean, that's just a fun that right there. So you yeah, have to take shit. you have to take him with a grain of salt. I have no, I love Paul. Um, I separate my feelings, business from feelings. I like him. He, like I say, he gave me my opportunity. I'm thankful for him. I'm blessed. But as the the joke of the thing is like, fuck yeah, you know, he, he still owes me money and all this bullshit. It's just another part of history. That people ask me, and I'm like, and I just make jokes about it. Like, yeah, that motherfucker owes me money, man, you know, and stuff. But that's what it is, man. What can you do? It's crazy. Big Sal was saying how Paul like swore to him he was going to have a job with him no matter what happened. He doesn't care if he had to work like at his house. He was going to be doing something with him. He was going to work for him. As soon as ECW closed, he goes, didn't hear from him ever. Not ever again, but like didn't hear from him. Like, Paul, I thought I was working for you forever. I thought I'd be even working at your house doing groundskeeping. Just he's like just flat out lied. The, the funny thing is that we did a show in Buffalo, New York. I forgot what kind of show it was, but it was Sal. I mean, it was everybody was there. CW Anderson. I remember Tommy was there and uh Sabu was there. It was just the whole ECW locker room. It was like basically the last hurrah after that uh last hurrah. Right. And um Paul was there. And um wow. so Paul was like, Paul said. I'm going to I'm going to Connecticut and I'm not leaving until I get a deal. You know, and we're at the airport and he gets on the plane and you know, and you were like, Yeah, he's gonna he's our advocate, he's gonna take just like he says on the I'm the advocate. He was he went and he shows up on Monday Night Raw, and that was it. You know, it's just that was it. We still had hope thinking that, you know, what was gonna happen. And the funny thing is that. After that thing, I was working, I was trying to go to Puerto Rico, you know, and I was working with Victor Quinones to strike a deal. Victor Quinones told me to come down to Madison Square Garden so we could finish talking about an you know, opportunity to come down to Puerto Rico. 
So then um, when I went down there, I mean, not lying to you, as soon as Paul turned the corner, he goes, Angel, brother, how you doing? And he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, Victor, I'm doing a deal with Victor to go down to IWA to wrestle. And he goes, I know, I know. You know, I was talking to him about it. No, he wasn't fucking saying he knew about it because I mentioned it. And he's like, I know, I know. I was just talking about him. I was putting you over, telling him that, you know, you'll be a great asset. I told you I'll take care of you. Bruh. You know, I was like, this guy's working me. And I just smiled like, don't worry, Paul. It's all good. It's all good. And then uh, I went to Puerto Rico and wrestled down there, which I loved. I just had that issue with Dutch Mantel. So fuck him. Before know. we get back to that, I just want to mention, though, the Heyman thing. So were you in mm-hmm. Pine Bluff like for the last ever show? No. You know why I wasn't oh. in Pine Bluff? Because finally I decided I'm not lying to you. DeVito calls me, he goes, Hey bro, are you gonna go down? Because they're not flying nobody. With technically everybody's basically driving. So I'm like, nah, man, I'm gonna put my foot down on this one. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm owed all this money. I have no money to give. I really didn't. I I had nothing to give to to go on the road. I just was, I mean, I had money, but you know what I mean? I was like, dude, I'm tired of, you know, if I had $3,000, like $5,000 since I've been going to the shows, I've been chipping away on that money. So basically, whatever I had left, I'm like, I'm still chipping away at my finances. I'm not going. It's just not right. You know, I have to make a stand eventually. So I regret not going. I really, really wish I would have went. But it, you know, I just wanted to put my foot down. I just wanted to make a stand for something, for once. Did you see like the writing on the wall as far as it closing, or did you think that he was going to come through last second with something and and save it? No, I really thought it was going to be a last second and save it. I mean, look at TNA. Look at the same thing. It's almost basically a mirror image, but they're surviving. They 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 yeah. they strived. I just I could visually see ECW because there was times where. TNA was going to like go belly up and then somebody picked it up. But just same thing. It was just, I just figured that would have been ECW. That would have happened. Now, the story was, I don't know if it's fact or fiction, but when, um, when, um, when Vince bought WCW, that supposedly, supposedly, I don't know how true it was, but that remember that Shane was going to be in charge, you know, of WCW. That's the little storyline. Well, that ECW was basically going to take over WCW, kind of like do the invasion angle there, and then like just take over, and then that would have been the new ECW, supposedly. But I don't know if that was true or not. Who knows? Yeah, who, you never know with the, all those guys and the promises because they were saying WCW is going to do something, and then they just evaporated it, basically. Oh, fuck yeah. It was like... It was done, man. But I would have definitely went down there for that paycheck, man, because I heard they were just yeah. throwing money like it was they were printing it. I would have loved to have a taste of that, you know, because I'm a I love to save. I'm a saver. I invest my money. So if I would have had the opportunity, let's say I was two hundred thousand dollars, whoo, I would have just took that money. Invest, invest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah. I would have had a monocle. I'd have been like the fucking monopoly guy, but brown. <laughs> I would have liked to look like the platter's peanut because I'm so dark. <laughs> So you weren't shocked that Paul showed like after each step he closes, obviously. You weren't shocked that he showed up on WWF TV. Yeah, I was shocked because he was supposed to be do- going there to do business for us. But when he showed up on TV, I was like fucking high spot. Hmm. So yeah, I was shocked because I expected something else. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't expect it. And I talked to a couple of guys. They were surprised to see him in Rollerball because he was supposed to be going somewhere to be 
saving ECW. So what's the story behind the rollerball thing? Because I've Dude, heard so many I, different stories about that. That story, what I heard, he was going to go to California and negotiate a deal with a company. And he said, I'm not fucking leaving that fucking boardroom until I fucking walk out with a deal. And um, I mean, that's, I mean, he didn't tell me personally, like to my face, this is like, like the locker room, like, Hey man, this is what I heard. I heard he, he's not, he's going to stay up there. You know, literally it's not like, you know, he was telling the whole crew. It's just that, you know, telephone, telegram, tell a wrestler, you know, once the other boys heard about it, he told, we found out through that, through the, through the grapevine. And of course that was just a lie because he was just up there filming rollerball and stuff. Crazy. And I know this story has gotten like blown up too that he was getting paid by Vince since ninety five. Somebody said fifty thousand a month. No, it was supposedly fifty or sixty thousand a year, which is still pretty damn good money just to like basically be a feeder. And if you watch TV and stuff, he wasn't always a feeder because WSW would get some of these W guys, but he would always be bad mouthing the WF and Vince. So it was like, wow, that's kind of uh, a ballsy thing, but supposedly he was getting paid the whole time. Yeah, but you never know if he was just working the angle to just give the illusion that he was, you know, like, oh, F this, F that, and all that right, stuff. And right, again, right. I, I never heard that. And again, I never, and even if it was, I, I couldn't prove it. I mean, um, we were like the uh, minor leagues, basically, for or the uh, the camp where everybody goes to train, because that's how Vic Grimes got there. He came from WWE. I mean, uh, uh, Kurt Angle came down to do some stuff. I mean, there was guys, I mean, Al Snow came down and went up. You know, after he left Leaf Cassidy, came down, did the you know the head and now stone, and then went back to WWE. I mean, it was just like that, you know. So, I believe it. You know, it's just like it's hard to prove. So with, fifty thousand a month, wow, that would have been awesome. Yeah, that that sounds crazy. But I was here from somebody else. It's supposed to be fifty thousand for the year, which is you know, especially that period, very good money just to basically supposedly feed guys to to Vince. I mean, he didn't really have to do much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, if I wish he would have fed me to Vince, I would have fucking, you know, definitely would have loved to get an opportunity to have a run up in WWE at the time, especially during that was like fucking attitude era. So, yeah, I would have been fucking like picking shit. But any opportunity there ever to go there? You know what's funny? This is the story. Um, So, remember when I forgot when Davari was the manager for the. Oh my God, not like uh, Hussein Hassan. Muhammad Hassan. Thank you, Muhammad Hassan. So when I left Puerto Rico, when I got pissed the fuck off and I left after September 11th, you know, I just fell off the grid. I just needed a break. So, of course, you know, we had the internet, but it's not how social media is, you know, you Facebook and able, able to get a hold of me. So, story was is that Tommy um, brought my name up because they wanted to use, they needed a bodyguard for for him like this like almost a standing behind them type of bs and um you know i yeah i could have definitely passed for you know that gimmick so um but uh, they couldn't find me and so it, it just never happened and then of course you know the september 11th thing or whatever i guess you know it kind of like killed this gimmick because of you know they was trying to stay away from that after the towers fell so so what no. happened down in uh, Puerto Rico? What happened with you and Dutch? Fuck that motherfucker. You can send him a copy of this tape too. <laughs> um, you, you know what's funny though? In this business, there's the difference between heat, like disrespectful heat, or you stood up for your rights and you still get heat. 
and I'll tell you the fucking story because I don't give two shits. So again, I'm a soldier, but I was bitter. I was bitter because of ECW and I'm like, fuck this. I'm not gonna let nobody fucking walk all over me ever. But I still was respectful. I kept, I bit, bit my tongue. I just didn't want nobody to test that, to test the waters. So when I got to Puerto Rico, they told me, Victor, the deal that with Victor was like, he, I said, Victor, I got no place to stay. Don't worry, I got a condo in uh, Isla Verde. You know, you can stay there as long as you want. Don't worry about a car, you got to ride. So you're good. And this is how much you're getting paid. Okay, bet. So I went down there, did my gimmick. They wanted me, they changed my name because there was another angel there. So they called me the New York and Baldy, which I fucking hated, but I accepted it. Okay, I'll work the gimmick, you know, and... um so then uh, I did my job. I worked. I grind. I did. I was a soldier. So one day I was sharing a room with Lobo and this 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 kid named Anarchy. He was like the young boy in Puerto Rico, and he he lived in the closet, <laughs> literally like R. Kelly living in a fucking walk-in closet. Because the only reason I knew about that is when I first got there, <laughs> he opened the door and I see this head stick out, and then he comes in. And I said, "Actually, well, who the fuck is that?" He goes, "Oh, that's Anarchy." Um, he's one of the, you know, trainee guys and he lives in the closet. Come on, really? Are you serious? When I opened the door, he literally had a twin bed in the closet by the wall with a little, like a little uh, milk crate with a TV on it in the closet. Weird. You, you can't fucking write this. You, you can't make that shit up, brother. I mean, I was just like, okay, whatever. If he wants to stay in the closet, that's fine. So it was us. We were all staying there. Anyway, the long, the long, the short story was, I was watching one of the VHS tapes and people out there, that was how we used to watch our matches on VHS tape. And I was watching my matches upstairs. So Anarchy brought this girl over and they went into the back room. I knew what was going to happen, you know, but of course he went into the closet. That was kind of hard to <laughs> put up with a chick. Yeah. But anyway, he went, he went in the room with the girl. So I'm watching my I'm watching my matches and Dutch comes in. He asks me, Hey, uh, I have a question. Have you seen Anarchy? And I'm like, and, I, and I'm one of those guys I don't stooge out the boys, you know, I don't snitch. So I'm like, nah, I haven't seen him. I just been up here watching my, I came up here, sat down and watched my tapes. So he was literally walking away, like literally walk, about to walk out the door because we were living with Dutch in that apartment. He stops. He must have heard something because I didn't hear nothing. He just stops at the door. He turns, turns to that direction and walks to the back. Maybe like. Less than three minutes, he comes back out and he, he points to me and he goes, you need to fucking get that kid, that girl out of here. I don't want to fucking see that girl here. And I'm like, the fuck? My fucking responsibility. You know, this is all in my head. Like, that's, he's a grown ass man. You know, that's him and his girl. Right. Whatever. So I was like, whatever. And I continued watching my tape. So I went downstairs to check my emails um, on the computer. So when I went down, the, the, Victor had an office on the second floor that did all the production work. And they had a computer there that you'd be able to facilitate to like check your emails, send out emails, you know, so on and so forth. So I went down there. When I went through the front door, the office, you know, the bedrooms were turned into offices. And one of the offices was Victor Quinones, Savio Vega, Dutch Mantel, talking about something. So I went, checked my email, finished up, and I was walking out. The motherfucker literally walked up behind me, grabbed me by my arm, spun me around. But nothing forced me, just enough to like say, hey, I need to talk to you. And he points his finger in my face and he goes, look, motherfucker, the next time I fucking tell you where so-and-so, you fucking tell me. If not, you find yourself back in fucking New York wrestling in the fucking uh, indie circuit. 
So he started walking away and I grabbed him and I said, first of all, motherfucker, don't you ever fucking point your finger in my fucking face again. I will snap it in a heartbeat. Don't ever disrespect me. I don't care who the fuck you are. And it was not my fault that the guy brought another chick in the room. I'm not his fucking keeper. Fuck you. And he's like, he, but since he was an old school, you know, Midwest, you know, the back in the days, he was like, how, the fuck, how dare he talk to me that way? But fuck that, man. I'm from ECW. You know, I earned my stripes. I earned my respect. I respect you for what you did in the business, but don't think you can walk all over me. So anyway, basically, long story short, after that happened, after that incident, I told Victor, I said, what the fuck is this problem? And I told him the story and he goes, oh, he's the booker. You know, it is what it is. Okay, fine, whatever. A week later, hey, Angel, um, this is Dutch. Hey, uh, you won't be able to stay at this apartment anymore because um, we have to make this room for the next guy. And I think it was Abyss coming at the time. We got The next guy coming, we need the space for him. So you got to find another place to stay. Okay, which I'm Puerto Rican. I got family at this. Okay, I got you. Then he pulled another high spot. Hey, Angel, um, you won't be able to get rides to the show anymore. You need to figure, figure something out. Um, you know, because we need that space for the other wrestler. So what he did was he's like, all right, motherfucker. He was pulling his card because I fucking talk shit. And uh, and that's what happened. Anyway, I got pissed off. Fuck it. I left Puerto Rico. Fuck it. I'm on vacation. I'm out. And I left. Fuck it. You know, I left it as is. So this is the caveat of the story. Homicide calls me from TNA years later, years later. Calls me from TNA. Said, hey, Angel, I got this gimmick. It's called LAX. You'll be perfect for it. It's between you and a guy named um, Hernandez. But I want you. I really want you. Devon was fighting for me. Everybody was like, Terry Taylor. I met Terry Taylor. He was like, I want this guy. Guess who, who was the fucking booker there at the time? Dirty Dutch. Dirty Dutch. When my fucking name came across the table, he was like, fuck that motherfucker. I don't want him. But why? What's going on with Angel? I even spoke to Devon. He goes, dude, what the fuck happened with you and him? And I told him the story. And he's like, yeah, he's fucking burying you. He's like, he don't want you here. He, it's not going to happen. Oh, well, fuck it. You know, and that was it. And to this day, fuck him. I mean, literally, I will walk on his grave and, and you know, and tap dance. <laughs> I mean, I can't stand the guy. Not because not because of that. It's because he. everybody keeps saying, well, you got heat with Dutch. How the fuck do I have heat with Dutch? If he was the one disrespecting me, just because I stood up for my rights and stood up for my ground, you're mad because I did that and I have heat with you? How the fuck is that? Fuck that, nah. There's a difference. So that's why I say fuck him. Nice, gotcha. Hey, you gotta yeah. stand up for yourself, no doubt about you that. Stand up for your rights, man. I mean, it's not it's not right. You know, in this business, sometimes you you know, I learned that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that walk all over you and you have to eat it. And again, this is the first time in my life that I stood up for myself. I mean, I you know, in this business, like, cause I was ready. Yes, sir. Anything you say, boss, you know, I got you. I'll do whatever I was told. And I did, but that was the only thing. That was the only time I said, nah, fuck that. I'm standing my ground and that's what happened. You know? So as we hit the wind down and head towards the finish after your wrestling career, you became a police officer. You became a cop. Yeah. I became a Wichita police officer because there was nothing else happening during the time in, uh, in, um, and there was no work wrestling after the September 11th. I mean, you remember, uh, it was just very difficult to get a spot. WCW was all in WWE. I mean, he already had everybody he wanted. RH was, um, I think it was kicking off, but I was not really familiar with it at the time. So I said, I have to make a living. So I decided to become a cop. And I did that for seven years. And then I became a correction officer. Then I became a cop again. And then I became a private investigator and a, <laughs> like a bounty hunter and a bodyguard. 
And then after that, I got burned out and then I just got like a regular, like a nine to five job. Kind of still doing like like law enforcement stuff, like compliance and fraud investigation. But, you know, I'm like, I'm like, a, because of fucking September 11th, straight shoot. When the fucking towers, I left Puerto Rico September 17th. The reason, but the, of course the towers fell. I already booked that flight way before the towers fell. So my buddy in Kansas, he was a worker, he was a wrestler. He uh, lived out here and he said, hey, man, you know, he was looking for me and he thought I was still in New York. When he finally got a hold of me, he, he, I said, no, I'm in Puerto Rico. I'm flying out next week. And he said, brother, why don't you just come over here and hang out for a little bit? We'll have a couple beers. You know, you stay at my house and let things cool off in New York. You just don't know what's going on, which you know how it was. So mm -hmm. then I'm like, OK. So I hung out with him and then I'm like, oh, my God, you know, how much you make an hour? He told me how much. And then this is your house. You know, he was living high on, not high on the hog, but like really good for the money he was making. So I said, you know, fuck it. I'll just stay. And I stayed. That's how I ended. So technically I ended up in Kansas by accident. Cause if it wasn't for September 11th, I would have ended up in New York back in New York. Cause that was my flight. I would have ended up over there. And then, uh, put it this way. I'm making a joke about it. Then it would have been me and DeVito as the carnage crew would have kicked out Loke and he would have been yeah. carrying my bags and making me sandwiches. You cut your crust off. Could have been ROH tag champ with DeVito. I know, man. Absolutely. Baldy's back together. Nah, Loke is a cool dude. I'm happy he got his spot in that. I love the Carnage crew. They're great, great, uh, great. Not ball. better than the Baldies, but they're okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For Ring of Honor, they're, they're good. With you, though, I mean, you seem like you're like Dr. D. David Schultz. You become like a bounty hunter after wrestling? You doing well, I had, yeah. I mean, yeah, after wrestling, I mean, the the police thing, I got, you know, I always wanted to be a cop and I got that skill and I got, you know, after a while, seven years of law enforcement, then went to the correctional, then went back to the police department. That's all I knew is law enforcement. So I just did the the private investigation and body, body, but it was not like in the movies. I wasn't kicking indoors. It was, it's more of like, this Mr. here, I got his papers and, uh, it was not like how it was kicking doors and stuff, but uh, you did have to go after some guys and it was easy. But I was like, nah, it's not for not saying it wasn't for me. I just said, it doesn't have benefits. I'm not really, I'm making money, but now no money. So I said, nah, I quit. So, you know. Any regrets from the wrestling business? Besides tagging with DeVito? Um, <laughs> no, man. No, I don't regret nothing. It's a blessing, man. I made great friends. I met, I mean, look, I met Russo. There's always, there's always, there's always a, a silver lining in all this stuff, man. I'm not trying to make it like all, you know, rainbows and sunshine, but. I mean, yeah, I had my ups and downs, but trust me, there's a lot of guys in this business that have a lot of downs with, you know, bad habits and and dying and stuff like that. I'm I'm blessed because I'm still kicking strong. I still work out. I still look good. I mean, I have other ventures that I'm doing. Um, I'm still connected with the wrestling business with my friends, um, and uh, I just I have no regrets, man. Yeah, you know, the, should I done certain things maybe differently? Come on, dude, that's anything. You know, if Woody would have went to the police, you know, none of this would have happened. Philosophy, um, yeah. I mean, you could, you could, you could armchair quarterback your whole life and say, well, if I would have turned left instead of right, would it have been different? Would I went back to New York on September seventeenth? Would I been in ROH? You know, like shit like that. I mean, could have, would have, should have. I have no regrets. So with you, and obviously you got the podcast, got the NWA Network going on. MWA, excuse me. MWA. MWA. Yeah. And I'm thinking NWA, uh, uh, Flair and Steamboat here for a second, but Ooh. MWA. Uh, yeah. What's, so just kind of recap what's been going on? What do you got coming up for uh, MWA? 
Well, I mean, like I said, I have Killing the Business. That's my favorite show because I just cut loose and just speak the, the Kingpin's mind along with uh, Me- King Mega and uh, Glenn Sexton. Um, then I got a, a, fun- a Funkin' Kingpin, which is fu- freaking funny. We're still getting our feet wet but because uh, we're trying to feel each other out, but it's just going to get funnier with uh, Kui Wee, uh, Al- uh, you know, Alan Funk. Um, so that's, the- again, that's another podcast. And I got Wrestling With Tragedy, which is, is it's my baby because that's the first podcast I did talking about the the, the travesties almost a, we're like the first Dark Side of the Ring because we were before they came on TV. We, we started that. Um, of course, that's not what they stole it from. It's just we were doing it at the time. Right. And um, we got on with Russo, and that's a blessing because, you know, Wrestling With Tragedy kicked off. And then, of course, when we started building the MWA uh, podcast network with uh, Pierce Austin, who is the, the one of the owners, I'm one of the owners, and uh, uh, Charles Redmond, he's one of the owners, and we're just building this podcast. Uh, you know, we just wanted our own network, and then we pitched it to Russo, and Russo's like, hey, that's a great idea. And he just brought us aboard with uh, with his uh, Realm Network, which is another a blessing with uh, dealing with Russo, which everything is awesome, you know, so... I'm excited, man. I'm going to be making your type of money. I'm going to have beautiful women massaging my feet with olive oil and feeding me grapes. You know? Hey, hey, I would love that too. I mean, that sounds great to me. <laughs> I'm just trying to do, I'm just trying to like, I don't want to be that Randy the Ram doing shows at school shows, which is nothing wrong. I mean, nothing wrong to make an appearance, but I'm going to, I just look at myself, fuck, I'm going to be 50. So everybody, every wrestler that I know is just transitioning to podcasting, movies, other things that since they still have that celebrity status, why not benefit from it and do their own right. thing, other things? And I want to do that. I want to do podcasting. Definitely. You so know? where can everybody find you? Your social media and, and obviously MWA and everything. Where can everybody get you? Well, definitely you could go to the MWA Podcast Network. Definitely check that out. You definitely find me there. It's on Facebook. Uh, and we also have Instagram and uh, Twitter. But me, it's, you know, you can find me uh, online, Angel Medina Jr., uh, Facebook, uh, ECW, uh, ECW King Baldy Angel on Twitter, and AA period Medina 262 on Instagram. I'm easily accessible, you know, and stuff like that. I'm easily to be found, you know, I don't hide. But again, um, if you definitely want to get a hold of me, definitely just follow me on the MWA Podcast Network, and you definitely get all those three shows and uh, and then some. With like, the, like I said, uh, Nights at the Gimmick Table. I mean, there's so many shows. You know, shooting the shit with Pierce Austin. Definitely, just a lot of shows out there. You could definitely benefit on the MWA Podcast Network. Awesome stuff, Kingpin. Thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Well, no, thank you for having me on, man. I mean, I hope uh, one day you bring me on again. Maybe we could chop it up and uh, talk about other stuff. Maybe bring DeVito oh. and just uh, we could talk about how I molded his career. All right, that Hey, let's bring him in. Let's do a Baldur's reunion. Let's do it. <laughs> well, we just got to get a stool for him so he could, you know, <laughs> see you in this camera. Ouch, ouch, yes. Yeah. Hey, but thank you for having me on, man. Thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.